personally, what's worked for me is that um, I've actually offered, if they're local, just said, hey, look, can I buy you lunch and can you give me career advice? Because then it's not, hey, can you give me direct feedback on the thing? Because usually there's HR and liability and they're worried about mm, whatever. Yeah. But, but it's just like, hey, look, can I just come ask you career questions as a human to a human? And a lot of times they're open to that and it'll cost you, you know, 15 bucks. Charles, great to have you on Back End Banter. Welcome, man. Hey, thanks. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, for my listeners, they need to know, I, I've obviously known you for a while now. You host uh -huh. Myriad Podcasts, JavaScript Jabber, Ruby Rogues, Adventures in DevOps, all these podcasts. Um, you run topendevs.com. Um, but why don't you take just a second and introduce yourself to our guests. Tell them why you are such a big deal. <laughs> why I'm a big deal. Yeah, I always I always ask people why they're famous and it makes them uncomfortable on my shows. But um, yeah, anyway, I think most people know me from the podcast. Uh, I've been podcasting since 2008 about uh, various topics. Uh, I started with Ruby on Rails, kind of expanded from there as people came to me and said, hey, I want a show about this. And so I start one. Um, so at this point, we're producing about nine shows. At our height, we were producing about 19 shows every week. And a few years ago, I went through some things that made me kind of rethink where I was headed. And realize that a lot of people are feeling stuck in their careers. They're trying to figure stuff out. They're not sure what to do next. What do I learn? How do I learn it? How do I figure it out? Um, how do I meet people who are going to help me get ahead in my career? Um, I rebranded devchat.tv, which devchat was kind of like we're talking about tech, to top-end devs because I want to help people level up and get to that place where they can achieve whatever it is they want. And then the other thing is, is that um, through my career, People kind of surprised at, at the velocity at which I advanced. My first dev job, within a few months, they gave me senior developer title. Uh, the next job I was at, I became the team lead. You know, after that, you know, it was just a matter of you know showing up and, and doing stuff that nobody else would do or could do. And that, that's what got me my career going. And then doing the podcast obviously opened a ton of doors. And so that's what I'm trying to teach other people is, hey, you know, there's a method to growing your career that has a little more to it than just, hey, I'm just going to show up for 10 years and then I'll be a senior developer and helping people right. get to that point. But I also want to help people be excellent with their technologies. And that's why we have the technology focus shows. Awesome. So it's actually fortuitous. I was listening to a different podcast today, a psychology podcast, behavioral uh, uh -huh. psychology podcast. And they were talking about this idea, you need to spend 10,000 hours doing something to like truly master it came about in right. Malcolm Gladwell's book, mm -hmm. uh, Outliers. But then on the podcast, uh, basically, book. the yeah, fantastic book. But the, the, the topic in this podcast was uh, of the day, at least, was basically that's actually not true at all. And some people yeah. tend to, you know, advance much faster than others. So I'm curious, I mean, senior developer within a few months, uh, lead dev at your second job, like, why is that? What are the different factors that go into, you know, you advancing so quickly in your career? Well, there were a couple of things. One is, is that I was super passionate about what I was doing. Yeah, I had already started the podcasts, right? By the time I was going to get that second job, interesting story. I will summarize because I've told the story a million times, but uh, it was my wedding anniversary. I think it was our third wedding anniversary. I showed up to work and I got laid off. And so I went and I applied to a bunch of jobs. I got a job interview that afternoon 
I went in, I did the interview, I left. They watched some of the screencasts I put together, building stuff in Ruby on Rails. I got a call back within 15 minutes of my walking out the door. Like I was driving past my mom's house because it was on the way. It was down by where, where their office was. And they're like, when can you start? And I was like, tomorrow. And so I started the next day. I was at like two months and they were like, hey, we need you to be the team lead because I was way more invested and understood the framework better than anyone else there, even though they had more programming experience than I did. Got it. Do you think, like, like, give me a sense of how big these companies are. I know, for example, at smaller companies, sometimes there's a lot more flexibility in terms of, yeah, yeah how, how quickly you can advance. On that note, would you recommend that newer developers start at smaller or medium-sized companies? Would you recommend they go straight for the FANG companies? Like, how do you think about that? It, it depends, right? The FANG companies are a lot pickier, right? And so you probably need to know somebody there, or if you're new anyway, right? And, and have somebody going to bat for you because they'll look at your resume and they're just going to say, hey, look, this person can't deliver what we need. And so they're going to, they're not going to give you a shot. But uh, some of the other larger companies down to some of the smaller companies, it just depends on what they need. And so you may as well apply because they may have some idea that, hey, look, we just need somebody on this team that can deliver. Or the other thing I see is a lot of companies, what they wind up doing is they're trying to hire somebody who is a senior developer. They can't find the kind of people they want. And so somebody says, hey, look, if you hire a junior, I'll mentor them. And so then they'll pick somebody up. And so it's 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 usually worth it to at least try. But the other thing is, is that, yeah. So the, those first two companies, the one that made me a senior developer, they were actually a consulting firm. And so the second that they were comfortable that I could deliver on a level that their clients would be okay paying senior developer rates, that's when I got a title. Um, got it. At the next company... I mean, I just got in and I solved all the problems. And so it didn't matter that I didn't have the experience, right? But yeah, it was also a smaller company. But at the end of the day, you know, there were a dozen of us developers at the company. And yeah, they they promoted a couple of us who were newer as far as our career went. And it just came down to, this is the person that's fixing the issues. And so this is the person that we're going to, we're going to give a raise to and put in charge of, of delivering product. Uh, at the end of the day, what I found is that because my next job, um, I, I was told by my boss after a few months of being there, it's like, I almost didn't hire you because you only had, like two years of experience on your resume. But then he explained, you knew how to deploy a CI CD pipeline. You knew how to set up a Git server. You knew how to deploy the apps. You, you're right. I had these other things that weren't as common. They're still not as common, really, um, that, that helped me move ahead. And so they hired me for that and then figured out that yeah, my resume said I was really green, but when I showed up, I showed up as a senior dev and it was because I wasn't afraid to get my feet wet, get my hands dirty and figure out how to how to move things forward. I think a lot of that is really what it boils down to. And yeah, I was spending extra time after work, you know, doing podcasts and screencasts and stuff like that. Um, incidentally, with that third job, they weren't as impressed by that, right? It was just, oh. they, they had stuff that they wanted and they saw that I could set it up and deliver it by having some of these extra skills, you know, understanding some of these new tools that that really comes into play a lot. And mostly it's just because I would go fiddle with stuff in my spare time. And, and, yeah. and I found that that moved things ahead. That makes sense. I kind of been preaching a similar thing uh, for the last couple of years, which is basically, man, after, after running an engineering team for a few years, it becomes really uh -huh. obvious that years of experience do not directly correlate to how you know, useful someone on your development team is going to be in terms of shipping working product, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
how do you go about things like you mentioned you knew all these kind of tangential things that ended up being useful things like setting up a git server and right. now kind of figure out what those other things are what are those things and how did you know to go learn those on your own i think a lot of people struggle with the idea well i know i need to get better as a developer and i know if i get better you know by some definition of better mm -hmm. that'll have an easier time finding work and advancing but how did you know where to spend your time uh, there are two things that I tell people just to start with in general. One is learn something new every day, and two is go implement it. Okay. Now, that those can be soft skills too, right? It can be, hey, this is how I talk to people. This is how I explain things. I learn how to do documentation and stuff like that. In in the cases, you know, where it was like the CI CD pipeline. Incidentally, if you went and learned what is it, GitHub, actions. their their new CI, yeah, GitHub Actions, right? If you get if you get your head around that. That's something new that people are looking to figure out and use, right? Because they're already using GitHub or something like that. So the question that I always get is, how do you know? Right? How do you know to learn this instead of that? Or the other thing, I talk to a lot of people who are doing JavaScript, right? And there's always something new coming out in JavaScript. And so they're like, how do we know which one to learn? And even doing like Ruby on Rails is, okay, well, what do we stick on the front end of it, right? Ruby's kind of stabilized at this point. It's not as hard to keep up on all the things, but JavaScript is still rapidly innovating. And so people are like, I just can't keep up on all of it. I've talked to a few people that just, well, I just gave up, which I think is not a great idea. But yeah. the thing is that you can pick and choose, right? You can figure out what's going to move the needle for you. And the other thing is, is that because there are so many opportunities, you don't have to take advantage of all of them. You can just pick and choose the ones that make sense to you, right? So, hey, look, there's Flutter and React Native and all these other things in mobile. I not really doing mobile right, right? And so maybe you go look at SvelteKit or Astro or Solid right. or like that, right? Something new that's coming out. And so I tell people kind of think ahead as to where they want to go. I have seven steps and, and planning is seven, is the seventh one. You know, just, just think about, okay, where do I want to end up? I want to be an architect. I want to be a senior developer. I want to speak at the conferences, you know, whatever it is, right? And then what you can do is kind of backfill from there and say, okay, these are the skills I need to pick up, right? So if you want to be a conference speaker, then it's, oh, I need some expertise in general. I need some expertise in some area where I kind of an expert, right? And then I need speaking skills and presenting skills. And so you can start to pick those up and you can say, okay, I'm going to learn uh, presenting skills twice, a, twice in a week, right? Because you're learning something new every day and then practicing it. And then, you know, I'm going to learn the JavaScript fundamentals, right? And I'm going to write code and commit it. Right. And so you get the idea. Those are the kinds of things you do. And so what you can do then is you can say, well, I'm going to be an expert in SvelteKit. Right. So then then you can narrow the field a little bit and you can say you know, two or three days a week. The thing I'm going to be learning is SvelteKit. And so you, you just level up. And then if you feel like, you know what, this isn't really getting me what I want or I'm not excited about SvelteKit anymore or whatever, you've still picked up a bunch of skills that are transferable. And so if you go into React or something like that, a lot of the concerns are the same, even if the solutions aren't. And so you can think, you, you have this broader way of thinking of things as you go into the new area. And so it's not a, a loss to spend time on one thing over another, and you can always adjust. And so that's, that's where I tell people. And the thing is, is that if you're consistently learning on a regular basis, I don't know if you've read uh, James Clear's Atomic Habits. Not yet, but I've but heard he, a lot about it, yeah. So he puts forward the idea that if you make 1% progress every day, I mean, seriously, it's one one hundredth of whatever your skills are, you, you level that up that much every day. By the end of the year, it compounds to 37 times, okay? So that means that if you're consistent 
and you make 1% progress in your skill set somewhere, then by the end of the year, you will have compounded to 37 times more effective than where you're at. Oh, and, and that's where people show up, right? That's the people that shine, the people that are out there that you're watching going, how do they do all this stuff? It's because year after year, even if they're halfway as effective and they're only getting, you know, what, 17 times as effective, you're still, you're still compounding and you're still growing at that rate. And that, that's where this shows up. And so if you're doing that work, right, that's why after a year or two or three, because I was doing it every day and I was picking up new stuff every day, I was in a place where I could effectively lead a team in Rails because I understood you know, the, the ins and outs of what was going on. Right? And later in my career, you know, why I could contribute in these other ways, you know, maybe in some of the DevOps arenas and stuff like that is because I was every day I was picking up something new and I was practicing it. And then the other thing I was doing is I was either putting out a screencast or a podcast about it. Right. Not only did I have to learn it well enough to do it, but I had to learn it well enough to explain it to you. And, and by doing all these things over and over and over again, it really created this opportunity, opportunity for me to show up as an expert. And then the other thing I want to put, throw in there is, is that through the podcast and things, I also built relationships. And so those relationships were places where I could go and either have a sounding board for, hey, I'm thinking about learning this. Is it worth it? And also, can you help me learn it? And finally, I need a place where I can go and apply my expertise and they'd help me find jobs. And so it all, it all paid off that way. And so I also recommend to people that they put out some kind of content on a regular basis. Blog is not my favorite. And, and I think I've explained why. You don't build those relationships. You don't, people don't hear you or see you. And, and that's important. And so by doing all those things, you really open up a lot of opportunities in a lot of cases. And then, as you consume content, you go to conferences and things like that, you'll get ideas of other things you should be learning. And it all builds together in order to get you to this place where you can achieve what you want to achieve in your, in your career. Wow, there was so much stuff in there. Okay, I'm going to rewind a bit and kind of play back through uh, all, of that, all of that advice. The first thing that I want to retouch on really quick was how you mentioned you can spend a lot of time learning something. And then maybe a few months down the line, for whatever reason, you decide to switch to a new technology or to switch mm -hmm. to a new tool. But as it turns out, like 80% of what you learned is typically transferable knowledge. Yes. And I think a lot of beginners don't realize that. I talk to a lot of people that are just starting their programming career mm -hmm. and they get really stressed about, oh, well, if I learn Python and then I learn Go, like I wasted all the time learning Python. And I'm like trying to explain to them, no, actually, it's really right. good to understand the difference between an interpreted language and a compiled language. And like all of those programming skills you'll learn while building a few projects in Python, those don't go away. They apply to pretty much every programming language out there. Uh, right. that you're running in production. Yep. So I, I love that you mentioned that. And then you moved on to talk about th the idea of creating content, which I think is there were two benefits that you primarily mentioned. Uh, the first was one that I'm super familiar, which is uh, basically when you explain to someone how to do something, not only do you have to understand it better, but it actually like in the process of explaining to figure out where you had your own gaps um, in mm -hmm. your knowledge, right? Because as you go to explain it, you're like, wait, I don't actually understand why like that is the way it is. And you have to go do some more research. Um, I've actually then, stopped yeah, recording a couple of times. I, in fact, a lot of the videos I put out, I have to stop recording for a minute and go figure go it out research. and then come back. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm the same way. I'll be putting together a course on something. Most of my courses aren't videos, kind of text right. and, and interactive based, but like same thing. Like I'll get to a thing and I'll be like, okay, this is how you do it. And then as I'm like writing out the how, I go, wait, I'm not like 100% sure on the why. Yeah. I'm good to do some extra research. I will lose people right here, right? It'll work, yeah. but I'll lose people. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I love that. And you mentioned the difference with like blogging, maybe podcasting videos. And I want to throw another one in, which is like, being active in discord communities and like helping people kind of one-on-one -on -one, like mentoring how do you think about those things like is it right for everyone does everyone need to do it yeah i think everybody needs to be involved somewhere right at, at a minimum right so if you're contributing to an open source project on a regular basis or you're showing up in a discord you no know, that's fine right I, I'll, I'll give you credit for it the the problem that i I see is that people tend to opt for the ones, you know, because they, they're, they're not confident. And so what happens is, is they'll opt for blogging because they don't have to interact with anybody in order to do it. And the right. whole point is, is that if you're contributing to open source, if you're replying to GitHub issues, you know, and interacting with the other contributors and things like that, you build those skills and those relationships. The right. same thing with the podcasts and the, and the, the screencasts, right? Um, even if you never have guests, you're still speaking to people. Cool. So it's funny. I actually published a blog post, what, last week, maybe two weeks ago now, um, uh -huh. talking about part of this idea. And it, it, it's funny. I actually basically took the opposite stance in one way, but I didn't talk about a key point that you talked about. So let me let me like tell you what I uh, distilled down in this blog post, and then I want you right. to respond to it. Basically, I said, look, very few developers that I've worked with in the real world are actually bloggers. Um, sometimes it's easy, especially if you listen to a lot of like tech influencers, people on Twitter and, and wherever, um, to think that you have to put out blog posts if you want to be able to get a job. Like it's this necessary thing uh, that will make it a lot easier for you to land a job. And my stance is basically like, no, your time is probably better spent elsewhere because most people who write three to five blogs, they never get seen by anyone. You don't make any personal connections. So unless you really love blogging for the sake of blogging, I recommend against it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's as someone who's written a lot of blog posts. Right. What? But there's a crucial point that, that you made, which is that blogging is like has no networking component to it. Right. Whereas like speaking at meetups, interacting in a discord or even like podcasting does have like a mechanism built in where you will meet people and make connections. So mm -hmm. is that the more important side of it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, personal connection will get you much further than content that kind of proves you're an expert. But that content does help in, in other ways. Right? I mean, I've used my content platforms to get to know people, right, to open doors, right? A lot of it does show up when I am applying for jobs or trying to get a contract or something like that, right? Where I can essentially say, hey, look, go look at my body of work and then, right, and then you can hire me. Yeah. And so it does work out, right? Like I mentioned before, you know, when I got laid off after that first developer job, right? Um, they went and watched my screencasts and then they were excited to to hire me because they could see that I could do the job. And so there there is something to it but you get the same thing out of the screencasts and the the videos and the the audio and things like that as you get out of the blog posts um, as far as that goes. And so you yeah. may as well get the other interactivity and, and things like that and just get comfortable behind a microphone so that people actually feel like they're talking to you or listening to you or having that conversation with you.
That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The way I like to think about it is when you're looking for your first developer job, and, and this advice actually keeps applying after your first job, but as we all know, that right. first job is like the hardest one, right? It's it's basically your job to provide the signal to the hiring managers and to whoever you're go is going to be your employer, right? To say, basically, I have these skills. Like they're not necessarily going to go out of their way for everyone applying to every job to find right. out whether or not you qualify. Like you really have to put in the work to show up front. Hey, I know what I'm doing. I've built these projects. I've written these blog posts. Mm -hmm. I've been on these podcasts. If you had to rank, like aside from having the technical knowledge, like let's just assume all of our listeners at the moment have the technical knowledge to get an entry level job as a full stack or a back end developer. Right. What are the top three things they can do now in in the job search, like if you had to break down, you know, the difference between, let's say, you know, writing blog posts, um, apply like cold applying for jobs on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. like what are the like three most important things or best uses of these like job seekers time? Um, a couple of things. It's funny. I wrote a book on this. The first thing that I tell people to do is just make sure your resume is up to date, that it's ready to go. Um, now, this is not the resume you're going to send to anybody you apply to. Okay. I'm just going to tell you that up front. But what it does is it gives kind of a baseline to start from. And I'll come back to that in a second. The other thing that you need to do is you need to be going out to meetups of some kind, right? Because again, having that networking, talking to people, you get the sounding board if you're not meeting your future coworkers, right? And yeah. for a lot of people, you wind up meeting me, your future coworkers or your future boss. Okay. So, so that, that just pays off dividends. The other thing is, is that a lot of those folks that show up to the meetups, they're pretty well connected. And so they may know of a job that you can apply to that you can actually get because they'll go to bat for you and mentor you into succeeding at the job. And so if, if there's anything that is super helpful, it's that, right? Because the, the networking component works way better for having a higher percentage of getting any given job than just cold applying. Right. But then what you do is, you know, if you are cold applying, get a pretty good idea of what you're looking for, right? Is it the salary that matters most to you? Is it benefits? Is it, you know, just having a good mentor? Um, because you can start to screen jobs for that stuff, right? As you talk to people about those companies, you'll get a good idea of whether or not they offer that, right? You know, go find people who are junior developers like you and, and ask them how their job goes. Um, there's one person who lives here. Um, I think she lives closer to you than to me. You know, we met up for lunch, me and a bunch of guys, and she showed up, right? Because we put it on meetup.com. And it turned out that her company had hired her as a junior developer, but didn't really support her as far as her ability to grow and learn. Mm -hmm. And so they eventually like, demoted her to tech support because oh. they weren't supporting her and she didn't know how to learn stuff. Right. So yeah. you, know, you you want to be looking and making sure that you're not going to have that kind of a thing happen to you. But yeah, so there are all those things that go into it. But then when you start applying, you do the work of finding out what the company's about, what they care about, what the boss is looking for, you know, what kind of a culture they have and things like that, what their corporate values are and whether or not it's lip service corporate values or whether they actually mean them. And right. I hate to say that because... Some companies, that's how they, right? They know they're supposed to have them, so they have them, but nobody looks at them. Yeah, it's but more of anyway, a marketing thing than like an internal right? values thing. But yeah. some of them mean it. Some of them really care. And so if you can incorporate some of those ideas into your resume, you can you know, wink and nod at them in your cover letter. Then you start looking like the person they want to hire because they know they want people who are going to fit that mold. And so 
that's why I'm saying that's not the resume you're going to send to people because you're going to highlight and move up in, in your order on your resume, the stuff that's going to tell them, I can do the thing that you need and I'm the kind of person you want to hire. And so right. when you're doing all those things, that, that kind of what works. But if you're going to the meetups, the other thing you can do is if it's a local company, you can say, hey, has anybody worked for such and such a company? Do you know what they look for? Do you know what they care about? Do you know anything about the hiring manager or the, you know, whoever's going to be doing the interviews? And you get way further because yeah. then you know the kinds of things to talk about that are going to get them excited to hire you. The other thing that I recommend, so I recommend th three things at the start of my book. I recommend that you update your resume and cover letter and just have it ready to go so that you can modify it. Because if you meet somebody and you want to send it off, it's easier to just modify it per your conversation than send it. Uh, go to the meetups and meet people. And then the last one is, is to have a side project, especially if you're brand new. Because if you have actual work experience, then you could say, hey, at my past job, I did the geolocation piece for the crime data, right? This is what I was doing at, at some of the yeah. job interviews I went through. But if you don't have work experience, then what's nice is, because if they know you don't, you know, this is your first job, they'll let you get away with some level of I'm new and I don't know, right? right? My first job interview was like that. But the thing is, is that I would ask questions and try and learn the answers from them. And that really impressed them. The other thing, though, is that I had some side projects that I'd worked on. And so some of the time the answer, was, well, when I worked on my side project, I picked up on this thing. And so I got away with a lot of stuff because I had a whole lot less of the I'm brand new and I don't know the answer. And, and then when I didn't legitimately didn't know the answer, I would just tell them, I don't know. I would probably Google this term or that term, or maybe you could just explain it to me. And a lot of times I would get the answer back. And I got like three or four times and it really helped. So yeah, so that, those are the things. If you're looking for a job, it's your first job or second job. If you've got that side project, it has to be moderately complicated, right? It can just be a hello world. We're talking like a, a Twitter clone or a blog engine or um, I had one guy, he was a big fan of Diablo 2. And so he kept track of all the equipment and stuff yeah. that you could enable, right? And so he built that, right? And people could come and they could add their own stuff. But it was something that was complicated enough to where it showed, hey, look, I'm not just managing one or two data en entities and I'm fiddling with this stuff over here and it doesn't really do anything. But, right. but it opened a whole bunch of doors for him because, you know, A, he found people that liked what he liked, right? Because it was Diablo 2. And then the other thing that paid off for him was, that, yeah, he could explain, hey, I had these interactions and this is how I dealt with it. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if, you're, if you're specifically looking for like a backend job, the more you can do with data, the better, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Crud apps are really boring. But if you're like aggregating some data from a game or a system or yep. scraping data from online, like that's potentially really cool and really yep. interesting. Comparing stuff. Yeah, that's yep. that's awesome. Okay, so you've mentioned your book. What's the name of your book and where can people go find it? So that that's a slight misstep on my part. I'm actually uh, re, uh, rewriting it. Um, right now, if you go look for it on Amazon, it's the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job, which is a mouthful. I'm I'm just shortening it up, you know, find your dream developer job. There were a couple of things that I found that I didn't have in it that I wanted uh, that help people out. Depending on when you're listening to this, you can go find it under the long Max Coder's title. If you look for Max Coder, you'll find it. But uh, yeah, after a few months, a few months from now, you'll be able to get it from uh, under the other name and I'll have taken the other one down. So just look for dream developer job. Like, I, I love a ton of this advice. One of the things I, I'm just really quick going to recap because I, I want to make sure it gets the emphasis that it deserved is 
th this idea of, of networking and incorporating kind of what you're learning from your networking and the kind of the, the hiring managers that you interact with in interviews back into your resume. You'd, you'd mm -hmm. met tailoring your resume to the individual jobs. And I think that's super important, um, especially in terms, you know, when you're writing code, you want to have this really tight feedback loop, right? Like you write right. some code and then you want to like run the code and immediately be able to be like, did it work? Did it not work? maybe maybe if you're doing uh, tests did the test pass did they fail whatever like you want this quick feedback loop and i think mm -hmm. so many developers don't get that in the interview process but if you can get that in your job search as well you'll improve so much faster and what i mean by that like go out apply to some jobs get some rejection feedback figure out what it is you don't know figure out what it was missing on your resume figure out you know what you don't know either from the jobs themselves or from your network and then incorporate that mm -hmm. into your learning and move forward. Yeah, I'm going to just add a slight caveat to that. A lot of companies will not tell you what you're missing. You'll ask them for feedback and they'll just tell you we don't do that. But some will. Don't don't be sad if you get the, you know, Sorry, if, if no. people tell yeah. you no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it means you just need to apply to more jobs so, because, you're, yeah. you know, some percentage of them will give you some feedback, um, yeah. especially if you like are able to kind of connect personally with whoever interviewed you some way, like through LinkedIn. You can yeah. be like, hey, what, what went wrong? What did I not do well? Um, it does yeah. take some legwork sometimes for sure. Yeah. Occasionally what's worked for me is that um, I've actually offered if they're local, just said, hey, look, can I buy you lunch and can you give me career advice? Right. Because then it's not hey, can you give me direct feedback on the thing? Because usually there's HR and liability and they're worried about mm, whatever. Yeah. But but it's just like, hey, look, can I just come ask you career questions as a human to a human? And a lot of times they're open to that and it'll cost 15 bucks to feed them. For their lunch, right? yeah. That's a great idea. I like that. Chuck, this has been fantastic. Where can people find you, find what you're working on and find more career advice? All right. um, everything's at topendevs.com. Um, I'm launching a new show called Catapult Your Coding Career. Uh, that should get launched here by Friday as we record this. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can go to topendevs.com. Um, I'm working on deploying the homepage right now. And right there at the top, you can enter your email address and it'll send you a link where you can subscribe to a podcast. It's a hidden podcast. It's secret. Um, <laughs> but what, what you get is it's right now, I, I'm, I have it planned at five episodes. You might get a few more. But they're basically half-hour episodes, and we break down each of the steps of growing your career. So learn something new every day, commit code every day, you know, meet somebody new every day, go to the meetups, go to the conferences, plan your career. And so, so all these things, and we talk about how to do each one, right? So you know what to learn and when to learn it, so that you know how to go network with people at the meetups, how to go make these connections, what your commit should look like. You know, we'll talk a little bit about with the commit stuff, you know, your side project. And so it'll go through all of that stuff. Just go to Top End Devs. Like I said, it'll be right there at the top. You can click to watch the video of me telling you how smart I am. And then you can go put your email address in and click the button. And it'll send you a link. And then you'll just get one episode every day for about a week. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Chuck. Everybody go check out topendevs.com. And we'll have Chuck on again later to talk about Ruby on Rails, his, his favorite tech stack. I've only been doing that for about 18 years, so... <laughs> cool we'll look forward to it thanks chuck yeah